Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 24 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again on this lovely Thursday is little Eddie O'Hare, formerly of the DCTV Report and Wicked Theory Podcast. How did I do this time? Did I do it? Better. 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 Okay, all right. I'm getting there. I got one more try after today. Yeah. Welcome, Eddie. Welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be back. How's it going? I, it's going good. It's going good. I'm 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 at a party on Christmas Eve. You know, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm listening to some great Beethoven classical music. You know, what could go wrong that this party is just not going to work for me? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Who knows? Have you ever have you ever been at a holiday party where where someone decided to 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 play classical music? Um, I, I, no, 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 never been. no. Because I can't I can't think of any reason why that would have why that would have been uh, what was going through the amps. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> through the speakers. Because <laughs> um, that's who they could get the free royalties to. Royalties. Uh, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I always associate Beethoven's. Uh, I think it's Beethoven's fifth. Or with with this movie, you know that, that's the. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, that's the music from Die Hard. Not that's the music that Beethoven wrote. You know, yeah, two hundred yeah. years earlier. You know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Ode to Joy. That's what I always, I always think that's of. Right. The Ode to Joy. Yeah, that's right. It's association, association. Mm-hmm. It's a good association. I think of it this way. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> right. So minute twenty four begins. With the camera zooming in on Hans as he's looking out at the crowd, and ends with John reaching the door of the thirty-fourth floor. Mm. So yesterday we ended the minute on on it with a lot of suspense. You know, we had Hans uh, and Marco and Peter Brady come out of the the elevator, <laughs> and you know, look out at all the guests who nobody is paying any attention and nobody notices that there are people with guns coming out of the elevator. You know, typical mm. 1980s uh, drunk people, I guess. And the the this minute begins with the 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 camera zooms in on Hans as he looks very intensely at everything that's going on. You know, it's 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 great. He's got this very icy look, which and he's got a little, like a uh, a little bit of a smirk on his face. You know, he's very pleasantly happy. He's giddy mm. that that he has. Uh, you know, reach this particular point. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, all the, the guys behind him have these very intense looks upon, on their faces also. And then the shot switches back to John, who's once again checking the phone line and trying to figure out why it doesn't work. And then he, we hear while John is looking at the phone, gunfire in the distance and lots of screaming. And then John looks around, you know, he's got to try to remember where he put his, you know, his gun and holster. And then he pulls out the holster and then takes the gun out of the holster and then runs over to the door. And very smartly, he just opens it a little crack and peeks just out. Just a tiny crack. Now, just, you know, it's the kind of thing, it's great. You know, that's the instinct to go for your gun. But don't you just wish he had enough time to slip on those shoes? He wasn't you know? even thinking of it. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the, we see the wide shot. We see that he's barefoot. But you, when you're first watching this, you are not paying attention to this. At all. No, no, you're not. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, what you see in the rewatch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And or the many rewatches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or the minute by minute rewatch. Who knows? Now, because I noticed something new that I'd never noticed here before that 
as the villains are taking people, throwing people out of the rooms, basically. So we have John's view and he sees this woman who's basically being pushed out and she falls down. There's a woman in a, in a uh, light blue dress that is pushed by one of the, the, by, by one of the bad guys and she falls on the ground and has to be picked up by somebody else. I never noticed that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, you could tell that that's definitely an accident. Yeah. (laughs) That's a stunt woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and she slides, <laughs> and she gets up right away. Also, she does a good, nice job with that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I give her an eight point two on that fall. You know, and then they, well, they pushed yeah, I, another. I, I don't know. I don't know if that was acting. I think she might have fell and just yeah, just got up be. and kept moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. And then the woman behind her stumbles also as she's being pushed out. You know, by by uh, James, who this mm-hmm. guy does not look like a James, but that's that's a separate issue. <laughs> yeah, and um. You know, it, it's great that, you know, we get this bird's eye view from John. You know, we get John's perspective of them pulling people out of the rooms and, you know, throwing them off, uh, throwing them out and, you know, trying to gather everybody together. Yep. You know, and I mean, there's there's a lot of pandemonium going on around here. And then we get a shot of Holly who's looking around and she's being hugged by her, you know, by her pregnant secretary, Ginny, who who stays with her. And the two of them are looking around. Now, do you think Holly's looking for John at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what she's she, she's already concerned mm-hmm. about him. Of course, of course, because oh. he, he's he's not an immediate, you know, uh, she's not in her he's not in her immediate view, you know. So it's like what what's going on? She doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't want to draw attention to him. But yeah, but <laughs> she also hasn't seen him in six months, yeah. so it's like you know, is she, you know, she's here at the party. Is she first going to think of him? I mean, we don't know. I, 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 I would, I would say she's thinking about him just because, you know, that's the thing that's different about that day is John's here. Um, as, okay. as much as the party, you know, that's mm-hmm. true. Right. And I wonder if she's thinking about the fact that, okay, he has a gun. What's going to happen with him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, is he going to use the gun? Is he going to not or whatever mm-hmm. it is? You know, and then we, we get another shot of John looking out this time we get, we get the, the shot from the, the corridor at John where we see just part of his face that's obscured, you know, as he's trying to look out uh, and see what's going mm-hmm. on. And he's looking at the, the, then the shot switches again. We get to see his view of everything. He sees two of the, the, the villains. We see both uh, James and uh, Marco, you know, Marco's in the red shirt. We get to see him. You know, he's, he's a red shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we see director of photography Jan de Bont doing that camera work, you know, doing that storytelling through the camera. Uh, yes, completely. Yeah, as as we get to now see the the exit. Yes, it pans over to the exit. Um, yeah, yeah, which is great. It's 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 great filmmaking because it tells us what is theoretically going through John's mind. He's like, okay, here are these guys, and here is the door. How do I get to the mm-hmm. door? What am I, what do I have to do in order to get over there before they get get to me? Yeah. Okay. And then the 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 screen pans back, and I I love the fake out here because it makes it look as if James is about to come into the room where John is, right? And then we then we we see the the camera tighten up on John, mm-hmm. so it, it adds tension to the whole thing. Is John? What, how is John gonna? What's he gonna do? Is he gonna shoot this guy? You know, who's about to come in? And who knows? And then, you know, he like points his gun out and then 
James is distracted because he hears uh, Marco calling to him as he walks into one of the rooms. And then the camera shot brings us into the room and we get to see that that little uh, couple that we saw last week who barged into the, you know, the Ellis's office looking for a place to uh, make out or apparently in this case more than make out. And, you know, we, we see that the guy is, is very nervous. You know, he's, his, his shirt is, is, is not tucked in anymore. Yes. But what we see here also is the woman no longer has her blouse on or only half a blouse on. You can see that her bra is actually hanging on the light of the, of the desk. Yeah, the desk lamp. Yeah. Which is an interesting place for it to be, to, for it to be. <laughs> but then uh, Marco pulls her up and drags her out and pushes her out, pushes the two of them out of the room. And then we, we get to see, uh, you know, the, the, the various uh, villains taking a look, you know, we see uh, Franco along with Marco just looking and, you know, making a comment about the fact that, uh, you know, we have, we have this uh, bare breasted woman that is being thrust out of the, the room, you know, trying to get her shirt back on. Yep. That type yep. Of thing. Doing a little bit more to earn that R rating. Um, yeah, completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, now, personally, I have no problem if there's, if there's a little bit of nudity in movies and stuff like that, but I prefer that it's something that actually can add to the story, you know, that, and even more so if it's something that is plot related that you need to have it. I, I don't think, I, I think that there are taste more tasteful ways of, you know, showing, I guess you can say adult situations. Yeah without having to show everything in, in a movie. Okay. Now this is a movie that I've wanted for years to show to my kids. And because of this particular 10 seconds, I can't show it to them, you know, and it's something that's not needed in the movie. You know, they, they could have pulled her out and, and shot it in a way where you can, uh, you know, what was going on, you know, the two of them are having sex. Okay. But you don't have to see what's going on. So, I, I've actually done a, I've tried to do a little bit of, of thought and research about this today about, you know, can, could I think of any movies where the nudity is essential to the plot where you need to have it, where you can't use camera angles and stuff like that to, to get around having to show it. Okay. So I actually contacted uh, two friends of the show, both uh, Jake Cluett of the deep blue sea podcast and Alan Sanders of the Wilder Ride, and I, I asked both of them if they could think of movies where nudity or showing nudity is essential to the plot. Okay, I mean, obviously, we all know that there are movies that the characters have to be naked, but you don't necessarily have to show mm -hmm. them in full frontal nudity. For instance, uh, a good example mm -hmm. that actually Alan brought up was uh, Terminator. Okay, the the idea of traveling through time, you can't go with clothes. So okay. But there are ways of showing Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't have to see full frontal nudity of Arnold Schwarzenegger to understand that his character is naked. Yes. Okay. So could you think of any movies? And obviously, this is I'm, I'm asking you this on the spot. You you were not given any time to to think of this before. Where where nudity is essential to the plot. Uh well the for the one that 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 comes to my mind immediately would be the Last Picture Show. Uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, okay. uh, which, which um, uh, it's uh, it's like a it's a, a coming of age teen, uh, teenage story. It, take, it takes place in a town in Texas, um, 
and uh, there is a scene where um, uh, a girl is uh, where a woman's um, uh, she's she's at a, a public pool uh, with a bunch of other kids her age, mm-hmm. and uh, they um, the it, the 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 kids all strip down, and they make her strip down. Um, to kind of be part of the cool group, and uh, the the civil, nudity civil, ser- civil shepherd, isn't it? Yes, yeah, civil shepherd. Okay. Yeah, right. and the nudity serves you know so the audience can feel the same embarrassment with her, um, and also kind of like the the quirky and funniness of the situation. Um, I, I would say that that that's something where if the nudity wasn't there. It, you wouldn't have the same emotional connection with the character and 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 perspective of what she's going through in that moment. Okay, but the the question is, is do you need to see her naked, or you have to assume that she's naked? Meaning, no, you, no, yeah, you meaning to... if you see it from afar, you can see that that the character is meant to be naked, but do you necessarily need to show the nudity? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, no, I it would not have the same emotional impact that okay. you saw it from afar. Okay, yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So the the ones mm-hmm. that 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 I thought uh, the only one that I could think of offhand was um, I think Basic Instinct. Okay, I think the interrogation mm-hmm. scene. Okay, uh, again, there's a lot of controversy as to what Sharon Stone knew, didn't know, whatever it is. We're we're not going into that because we're not doing Basic Instinct minute by minute here. We're, yeah, you know, yeah, but. The idea is, and and this is actually quite funny because most times when people look at movies that have nudity, so you you know look at it from a feminist perspective, you're going to say that okay, the nudity is downplaying the role of the female in the, in this particular scene, and that's why there's nudity. But in Basic Instinct, in this in the the interrogation scene, it's the exact opposite. The nudity is showing there that she's the one who's in control of the room. She's the exactly. one who is, everyone's intimidated by her. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, that's something that wouldn't have worked as well had they, you know, not uh, used the nudity there. Again, I know that there are cuts of the movie where they cut that out and it still works, but I think it works best mm-hmm. that we're actually shown you know, the uncomfortableness of everyone else in, in the room and the way that mm-hmm. she is the one controlling the room. And she's controlling the yeah. room with her sexuality. That's what she's doing. You know, nothing mm-hmm. else. You know, she, she's establishing dominance over completely, the detectives. Completely. Over everybody yeah. in the room, the detectives, the, the DA, everyone there. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Alan brought up, and he made a very good point about this, he said, okay, well, what about, you know, movies that show... Uh, you know, people in the concentration camps uh, going to the gas chambers, you know, like in Schindler's List and things like that. And yeah, he makes a very not, good it's point. Not, it's not it's, – it's nudity that is not done for titillating reasons. Okay, but it's – No, it's, it's not pornographic. No, no, no. Again, but the whole question here is not a question of pornographic or not. It's a question of whether nudity is needed in a movie. And in those movies, for instance, I'm a big fan of Escape from Sobibor also, which has – this was a made-for-TV movie that had nudity. And they, they were allowed to show it on network TV because of the fact that what they were showing is the realism of the situation. I mean, in, on TV, it's, it's from afar. You don't see very much, whatever. But, but 
everyone is naked there. You can tell that there there is nudity there of all these people, all these women and men that are about to go into the guest chambers. So that's a good point. And Alan also brought up another example was Amistad, you know, where you have all of the, the slaves uh, on the, the ship and they're chained together. And when they have to, you know, get rid of some of the slaves, they just throw them overboard. And the 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 fact that you see that that all of these slaves are naked is even more impactful to to see the way that they they do that. You know, obviously in the eighties there are tons of movies. I mean, still today that the gratuitous uh, nudity is there just for the sake of adding a nudity, not because the plot really needs it or anything like that. But you know, I I, I thought yeah. it would be interesting to to think about whether there are movies that you know that deservingly, you know, have new in them. So if any, you know, any of my listeners have any other suggestions, you know, I'd love to hear what other movies you think purposely show nudity that is needed to advance the plot as opposed to, I mean, we're not talking, we're not talking about, you know, like uh, teen sex comedies. Obviously you need, you need nudity there to advance the plot, but that's not the type of thing we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. One other example I would use, it's it's a play that's actually being revived on Broadway right now called Take Me Out, um, uh, which is about a baseball team. Uh, and you most of the most of the scenes take place in the locker room, in the showers. And you see that these are, are baseball players who are, are comfortable with their bodies and, you know, just walk around naked and just talk to each other. And they don't think anything of it until one of the players on the team uh, comes out as gay and that immediately makes uh, people self-conscious and it changes the whole dynamic of everything um, completely dynamic. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that's an interesting uh, point. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, again, here, this is not necessary in this movie. It's not needed. Uh, as I said, mm-hmm. to me, I feel it's detrimental because this movie has, should have a wider audience than it, than it, than it really does have. Because, you know, you you can show it to kids, especially nowadays, because they're you know, kids, unfortunately, are are mm-hmm. less sensitive to violence in movies than 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 they were back in the 80s. But the fact that you have 10 seconds of of a bare breasted woman, at least for me, you know, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, my my kids yeah. watch that. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not trying to justify this but i could tell you the the rationale behind that was joel silver the producer um really wanted to up the eye candy quotient yeah, that's course. why you have so many beautiful people running around the movie and you know in in the elevator and on the building and you know just it was that one little uh here's something for the here here's something yeah for no, the I, boys. I, I understand that um, but uh that, that was that, that's joel yeah. silver for you what do you expect <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> right so mm-hmm. basically, uh, you know, at this point, Marco pull, pulls her out and, uh, you know, takes her out of the room. And then the, the bad guys, uh, you know, all start laughing, the, the three of them that are on there. And they continue on to, to some empty rooms that are above them. And, you know, we see James continuing to move forward towards the, the room that John is in, which the script has identified as Ellis's office. You know, still laughing, looking back, laughing at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what they just saw. Who knows what their yeah. German joke was? Yeah, they you know, they must have made some sort of German joke yeah. about maybe they said, you know, uh, she's not good, as good looking as German women or vice versa. They might have said, you know, she's better looking than your girlfriend. I don't know. You know. Yeah. You know what's funny? I'm sorry. I just I need to I need to point because I 
I just realized this watching this clip is that the actor who plays James Wilhelm von Hamburg is also played the villain Vigo in Ghostbusters okay. Two, yeah, which is another one of my favorite movies from childhood. And I like just just it's funny how sometimes you know you watch something over and over and over again, and and you still are learning new things from it. And I just make that oh, realization. Wow. It's just <laughs> wow. That's yes. cool. <laughs> I, I forgot about that fact, but yeah, I, I, cool. now that you mentioned it, I, I remember that I did did come across that at some point. Yeah. So <laughs> Moving then James on. and Franco then um, enter the office where John was, and they look around, and you know they they find nothing, but but you can tell that they're looking down, and they notice Franco at least notices the shoes on the ground, and makes some sort of comment in Germany in German about the the fact that there there are shoes on the ground yes. and start laughing. You know, again, I don't know what they said. I couldn't tell. Yeah, you. yeah, the, yeah, the lights are off and everything and like, oh, "Where did he go, George?" You yeah. know, thank God George. Well, no, maybe 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 they're laughing and saying maybe this is, you know, something connected to this couple that we just came across beforehand. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> who leaves yeah. a shoe? Yeah, exactly. Who leaves two shoes around? Who leaves the shoes in socks on? And you go, yeah. oh, must be must be someone who was sitting next to that business a businessman on the flight who <laughs> who who always tries to convince people to to make fists with their toes. Fist with your toes. <laughs> Trust me, I've been doing it for nine years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and then they have a great cut of. Oh, this the... is perfect. This is so perfect. The next thing we see is John's bare feet running up the stairs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, not only does Franco mention it, he points his gun to the ground and says, you know, the shoes. And then, you know, the two of them are laughing. And then we see John running up the stairs and we're focusing on his feet. You know, again, metal stairs. So I guess the entire building is metal stairs. You know, not just uh, the basement, not just the B2 staircase, uh, yeah. not just staircase three on level B2, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, and then we see him him run up the stairs pretty quickly. Uh, it must be pretty cold if those are metal stairs, even yeah. though it it is LA in the in the winter. But still, you know, you you'd still think that there's uh, it's pretty cold. And then we we get an overview shot of John as he's running up the stairs. Also, you know, he reaches the thirty first floor and is ready to open the door as the minute ends. Mm. So we 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 don't really get to to see. Uh, what's what's on the other side of the door? What's behind no, door yet. number? What's behind door number one? <laughs> what's behind <laughs> door number thirty-one? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So you have anything else for this minute before we uh, no. move on to the to, mm-hmm. to the script? Okay. So first of all, the the biggest discrepancy in the script is that the the bad guys aren't as forceful as they are in the movie. You know, we don't have them throwing people and grabbing people and stuff like that. Okay. And, okay. you know, the, 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 because the description is, is a little bit more, uh, calm. You know, what they basically say that they, uh, you know, there are four offices away from, from John and moving on towards that. And, and then what they, they basically say here is that, uh, you know, quick cuts as McLean's eyes scan their weapons. He's totally outgunned and he knows it. Okay, then it says, uh, you know, they, they reach the office just before Ellis's and throw open the door, revealing the man and woman who interrupted Holly and McLean a few minutes before, now in the throes of passionate lovemaking on the desk. The two terrorists smile at each other, then enter the office. A moment later, the man, trying desperately to pull up his pants, and the woman, buttoning her blouse, 
are pushed out into the hall and towards the larger group. The other terrorist goes to Ellis's office and opens the door. It is empty. And so they don't mention anything about the, them seeing the shoes in the room. And then it says the interior of the stairwell close on, close on McLean's bare feet, padding quickly up the concrete stairs two at a time. We follow him up then out onto the 31st floor. So again, the, the script mentions this fact that we're going to be focusing on the feet, which is great. Ah, I mean, okay. I love, I love the way that they do this. Yes. Yeah. 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 The execution on that is great. <laughs> so every Thursday we have a segment called off the beaten track where, uh, either myself or my guest will give a little uh, holiday story about something that happened to one of us over the course of our lives, some sort of fun little adventure, misadventure story that's related to some sort of holiday. So up until now, everyone's been giving Christmas stories. Uh, being Jewish, I don't have any Christmas stories for anybody. My stories, uh, if they're around that time of year, are all about Hanukkah. And I actually have one. So I remember when I was probably about seven or eight years old. So, I mean, part of the whole idea of, of, of Hanukkah, or Hanukkah as I call it, because I can actually say the ch sound, <laughs> unlike most <Yeah>. people. <laughs> there you go. Can you say Hanukkah? <laughs> Try it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. No, no, I, no, I, I, <laughs> there you yeah. go. There you go. That's yeah. good. I, you got I, it. Yeah, I, go. I knew a Chaim in high school. Um, there you go. All right, that's good. That, it was good practice for you. <laughs> there you go. That worked. That worked. So uh, this must have been, I, I probably was about seven or eight at the time. So this was back in 1981, 1982. I remember so uh, uh, some relatives came, you know, for, for one of the nights of uh, Hanukkah and you know, most of the time, you know, every night you have a different relative that will give a present because, you know, you don't get eight presents from every, from the same person each time. It's usually from different oh. people, you know, going back to your story from two days, two days ago. I mean, you could give eight presents if you really want to, you know, as a parent, I don't give my kids eight presents. Come on. You know, we, we, we spread the wealth. Mm -hmm. We, you know, in different days, we give different little things uh, from different people, stuff like that. Um, which goes back to, you know, our Hanukkah Harry story from two days ago. So that that'll that'll go up again. Also, I'll, I'll let people once again take a look at that little clip with John yes. Lovitz on Saturday Night Live uh, with that. You know, give give a second viewing of that. So that that works. <laughs> I remember my aunt and uncle came to to visit us, and you know, one of the integral parts of of uh, celebrating Hanukkah is lighting the the candles. So we lit the candles, and then we had a blackout. Ooh. And you know, so we were somewhat grateful that we actually had lit the candles because the the room was was lit up a little bit. And uh, afterwards, the, the blackout actually lasted for a few hours. So when the candles burnt down, because usually the candles burn out within an hour. Or oh, so, they don't last, you know, they the, don't last the little, eight days? No, no. There's, there's, no miracle, there's no miracle of Hanukkah in everyone's house where the, the, where the oil lasts for eight days. No, that, that would be very nice yeah. if it did. It, you know, back to the original story, that's what happened. Yes. But uh, it doesn't happen in everyone's house. <laughs> what can I tell you? It didn't happen in my house. How's that? Maybe there are houses that mm -hmm. happens in. That well, they, they they all but, probably uh, have electric menorahs. No, those, those aren't those aren't good enough. You know, you can't. Uh, that, that, those don't count. You have to either use uh, oil or wax if you want it to to really count from from at least my perspective and from what I was taught. You know, an electric an electric one doesn't doesn't count for getting it done unless mm -hmm. that that's the only thing you have. You know, and whatever, because you can't really make a blessing on an electric candle. The idea is making a blessing on, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. flame itself. So, but whatever, we're not going into a, uh, you know, 
<laughs> I won't go. I, I won't deep dive into uh, you know a Jewish uh, laws of of uh, mm-hmm. of lighting candles on Hanukkah. On Hanukkah. So, uh, but what I remember from this particular night was is that so my aunt and uncle had come. They had given us presents. I don't remember what presents I got. I might have gotten a sweater. Who knows? You know, it is possible. It was it was quite a long time ago. So so that I don't remember. Again, we're talking forty years ago. But what I do remember is that. After the the candles burnt out, we actually we had a fireplace in our house and we lit up the fireplace in order to both warm up the area because it was, you know, I I lived in New Jersey at the time. So it was cold, you know, dead of winter, you know, middle of December, uh, you know, 1981 or whatever it was. Can I ask what Nice and cold. I I, think I remember the the number of the exit that I don't remember. We we lived in we lived in Lakewood. Oh, I I have uh, I have cousins there. (laughs) There you go. All right, mm-hmm. there are O'Hare's in, in Lakewood. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's interesting to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because nowadays I know that it's uh, there. There are a lot more Jews living there than there were at the time. Oh, okay. You know, when when I grew up there, I mean, my my family was there for many years. I mean, my my mother was born there in the forties. Ah. Okay. You know, that's how that's how long my family was there. My grandfather, you know, moved moved there in mm-hmm. the, the late thirties. Uh, so yeah, well, these these are actually yeah. uh, Silers. Oh, it's on my on my mother's side. They're on the German side. Um, no, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's fine. But what I remember is, is that we, we, we lit the, the fireplace, which we didn't normally do because you didn't need to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a nice, uh, family evening, you know, that we all would be able to sit around the, the fireplace, you know, uh, telling stories, telling jokes, whatever it was. Cool. So yeah, that, that's my little holiday story from, from Hanukkah, 1981. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Eddie, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Little Eddie O'Hare. Uh, there's not much there now, but I'm hoping there uh, um, uh, there will be soon, hopefully by the end of this year. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to hear some of my old podcasting exploits, uh, go into the archives of the DCTV report and the Wicked Theory podcast. All right, excellent. Mm-hmm. While you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you may be using to listen to this show. And you can find me very simply. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And you can go to my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So until tomorrow. Yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay!